think. Open your Bibles up to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. We're going to read some scripture. Um, and then, and I'm going to read it in two different translations. And so, again, we welcome everybody here. If it's your first time uh, and, and you're wondering what all this stuff was that was happening, the language we're praying in and, and people falling down, just ask the person next to you after service. They'll explain everything to you. Amen. <laughs> and and I, I probably don't even have answers for you. So, praise God. No, I'm kidding. Luke chapter 11. This is Luke's account of the Lord's Prayer. Now, I want to touch mainly on one verse here, and I want to talk to you uh, about the revelation of God. And, and you know, I, I really feel like as a people, even as Christians, long-time church-going, Bible-toting, tongue-talking, devil-stomping Christians, you know, we've been in church so long, it's like our, there's literally an imprint of our butts in the seats and how many, how many can say, amen, that's me. You've been in church decades, right? And Christians that have been saved, they've been to like a dozen, a hundred conferences. And there's, there's the Jesus that we know in our hearts that we, we read about in Scripture. And, and we experience by the power of the Holy Spirit, the revelation of, of Jesus, of who God is. There's all of that, and there's years of that, and I think that that's all important. But then there's the Jesus that, that, that is being revealed to us, and sometimes we have to let go of the Jesus we thought we knew. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you a message here, so I, I, just, I want you to understand that I feel like I could look back on my life, and I used to think God was a lot like me. I used to think God had mood swings. I used to think God, for some reason, might be just a little bit better of a father than I am, which I'm, I'm a decent father, as my kids will tell you. Where's my daughter? She was on the front row. She'd probably tell me, yeah, I'm, I'm amazing. Praise God. Amen. Right, kids? Where's my kids? Uh, feeling really intimidated right now. I'm a pretty decent father, but I used to think God was just a little bit better of a dad than I was. And, and, and so our revelation of of who Jesus is to us now in our hearts, sometimes our, our, our paradigm, our capacity of revelation of truth, of who God is to us, sometimes has to be, uh, it has to be expanded. It has to be some, some things that we think about God, we've just got to let go of. I'll give you a really good example. There are some Christians that, that, are, that are New Testament believers walking with Old Testament mindsets. And, and even their revelation of God, it, it's, it's more like, you know, um, God is just constantly judging people and condemning people and wanting people to know how sinful and evil and wicked they are. And at any moment, you know, God could just cause something to happen and they lose their life and it was God's will. And, and, and some people have a concept of God like that. And, and so, the, but there's, there's a remnant and there is a contamination of old covenant thinking uh, in the minds of new covenant believers. So the Jesus that we've known, the God that we've understood for many decades, years going to church and, and all that good stuff, uh, sometimes might contradict a little bit of the Jesus that we're learning about. We're learning of Christ. We're learning of his heart. We're learning of his nature. And in the moment we think that we've arrived and because we know all the doctrine and we have a master's in divinity and, 
you know, a BS and BS, it's all a bunch of BS. Come on, somebody. You know, we got, we got, we'll hang stuff on the wall. The moment, I'm telling you right now that, that you could go to years in Bible college, but to a child that knows God as Father is light years ahead of that doctrine of divinity. And the moment we think we've got it all, listen, there, it's not about having everything, uh, being able to explain everything theologically. It's really not. And, and that's what we've done with the way that we evangelize. That's the way that we've done. And so we've represented the God that we know, but now we need to represent the God that we're learning about. And we have to be okay with saying, you know, maybe I missed it. Maybe I missed it. I remember learning that my eschatology was not really in line with the historical eschatology of the church. And I had to, I had to be humble enough, a hum, a humility, is, is having a teachable spirit. And, and I love, you know, one of my spiritual fathers says this. He says, if you're not teachable or correctable, you're not a disciple. That's a good time to just be quiet because we could all just say, Lord, help me. When we're not teachable or correctable, we're not behaving like a disciple. We should be willing. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes we hold on to these images or these imaginations or these, we could even say idols, because any image of God that is not really like him is an idol. If we hold on to these so tight, they, be, they become idolatrous, and then we never discover the depths of the heart of who God is. Now, I want to read this to you. This is so profound. Are you all feeling me so far? Carla, how am I doing? On a scale of one to ten? Okay, praise God. Come on, tweet me, Zach Wex. Amen. (laughs) Luke chapter 11. He said this in verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father. Oh, man, that changes everything. This is is the revelation. It starts with Abba. In the Aramaic, that would be Abba, dear Father, beloved Father. It's a term of great respect and reverence and a term of affection. The same affection my little three-year-old Layla Sophia runs up and sits in my lap. Or this morning when I said, Layla, and she runs around the corner, she jumps up and I grab her and she puts her arms around my neck and squeezes and says, I love you, daddy. That is the reflection of what we're seeing in the scripture Originally, Jesus spoke Aramaic, then they translate it into Greek. So if you understand what Jesus was saying, Paul says it in Galatians chapter 4, verse 6. He also says it in Romans chapter 8. He uses the Aramaic word Abba, which could be translated Papa or Daddy. And it's a, it's a term of endearment, and it's a term of reverence, reverence and respect. Jesus says, this is how you start your prayer. Daddy God, Papa. You know, in the Old Testament, you only see it a handful of times, God called Father. You never see it where God is called some individual person's father. Maybe he's the father of all of his people, and it's a metaphorical thing. But now Jesus brings this revelation, and then you see it, I believe it's over 250 times in the New Testament, you see God referenced as Father. It's a paradigm shift. And so Jesus says, this is how you pray. Can I hear you say amen? Amen. He says, Father. And here's what he says. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Uh, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those 
uh, for, forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. Now, if you read it in Matthew chapter six, it's a little differently in the, in the gospels. Now I want to, I want to look at this real quick in the message translation. Check this out. Let's read it in the message translation. Uh, you, do you have that in the message back there? So he said, when you pray, now check this out. Say, Father, reveal who you are. Set the world right. Keep us alive with three square meals. I, I, man, I, I'd like to paraphrase that to seven, but I got to just do what the Bible says. Keep us forgiven with you and forgiving others. Keep us safe for, from ourselves and the devil. Amen. Now, what I want to focus on here, he says, Father, and he says, hallowed be your name. Uh, you know, it's interesting because a lot of times we think that somehow it's like keep your name holy. And we approach this from a lens of an old covenant Pharisee. It's almost like we're afraid to make, make this, you know, or, or to understand this, this image of God that actually sits with sinners. We have this image of God that cannot look upon sin. We take a verse, one verse and in Habakkuk out of context. Well, God cannot look upon sin. And that, that's where our revelation stops. And we think holiness is so other, otherness, holy other, like not H-O-L-Y, but holy other, that we think that he's just so transcendent that it's almost like God is so holy and, and just and, and, and infinite that he transcends everything. He transcends time. He transcends everything. That he, we've made him so distant and far. And I want to explain to you something. When Jesus was revealing to his disciples how to pray, uh, when a rabbi would tell his disciples how to pray, he was giving them their theology. He was saying, this is how you, when, when somebody prays, you know their theology. You know right where they're at. If somebody starts praying and they're praying judgment and hellfire and praying for the gossiping sister so-and-so or whatever, you know right where their heart is. Come on, somebody. And Jesus is saying, here's where you start. Father, and hallowed be thy name is not keep your name holy. Like, oh, God forbid we, you know, we defile God somehow. Like we, we well, it's almost like we think if, if, if God is touched with sin, he's going to become defiled. Or, or there's this image of God that we have that he's holy, so we got to keep him holy. And we got to keep his name holy and don't want to take the Lord's name in vain, so we don't want to say, gee, damn, or, or, you know, but how many know that representing God wrongly is truly what taking his name in vain is? And what Jesus was saying here is reveal who you really are because religion and the old covenant it has convoluted and it has confused and it has brought a bunch of contamination to the image that we have of God. But then Jesus says, guys, this is how you pray. I want you to pray, Father, Abba, Father, reveal who you really are. Get rid of the confusion that people have about the creator, about the maker, the sustainer, the one whom in all things consist. In him we live and move and have our being. Jesus is saying, listen, the sustainer of your very breath, the giver of life, not the taker, not the one that God, God's plan was never, death was never a part of God's plan. Death came about through alienation and man turning away from God. And Jesus says, I want, Father, I, I want you to reveal who you are. I want to end this confusion once and for all. Can I hear you say amen? amen. 
Now, I want to talk about who God is just for a little bit. I want to talk about who is God? Who is God? What forms our image of God? You know, we've got a lot of lenses. We've got a lot of filters on. We've got a lot of, uh, you know, everyone knows Instagram, you know, Facebook or whatever. You take a picture, you take a selfie. How many know a filter can be a good thing? Come on, somebody. Especially when I forget to put my makeup on, you know. I'm speaking metaphorically if I was a female because I don't wear makeup. Praise God. Are you thankful your pastor doesn't wear makeup? All right. All right, cool. Let's just leave it at that. So, how many know that there's, there's, there's social media things that you can do? You can make your life look a lot better than it really is. Come on, somebody. Those statuses, everyone's always happy like they are lying. <laughs> Those pictures that just look brilliant and amazing. I'm like, that's not what you look like when I see you in person. I include myself in that too. My beard does not look that good in real life. There's a bunch of filters. Well, we've done the same thing. Religion has done the same thing with our view of God. There's a lot of filters. There's a lot of contamination. There's a lot of things in the way to see God vividly for who he really is. Religion has given us a bad taste. Matter of fact, a contaminated, a toxic taste of who God is. And we've got to get delivered from that. And Jesus has come to reveal who the Father is. So our view of God has to change. When we look at Jesus, everything changes. When we see who God is revealed in the person of Jesus Christ, everything changes. I want to read a couple of verses to you. We're going to start in Hebrews 1.3. Check this verse out. This is powerful. The Son, say the Son. Who is that? Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Will you say that with me? The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the power of his word. After he had, I can't read that. It's provided. It's just, it's white on the other side. Purification for sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. The son, Jesus is the exact representation of who God is. Jesus in the incarnation from the manger, from the womb to the manger to his entire life, with the way that he sat with sinners, the way he healed blind, the way he raised the dead, the way he was moved with compassion, the way he touched the lepers, the way he loved people, the way he laid his life down. Come on, somebody. The way he rose from the dead, was buried, rose, and the way he ascended and sat down, all of it reveals to us what God looks like. He is the exact image of who God is. Now let's read another verse, Colossians 1, uh, verse 15. We'll get that up there. Now th these are scriptures, saints, if we want to represent God properly, we need to memorize these scriptures. Uh, Hebrew, and not just memorize them, but let them point us to the living Christ so that we can unlearn the things that aren't really who God is and, and learn of the living Christ of who God is. Come on, somebody. Look at this. The Son, oh, that's beautiful, man. Those words just popped out at me right there. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
Will you say it with me? Let's say it together. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Jesus reveals who God is. Jesus takes all the filters off. Jesus, he removes the contamination of religion. Jesus gets rid of the two-faced God. The God who looks like the archaic religions. The God who needs a, a, a virgin sacrifice in a volcano. The God that looks like, you know, Thor. Or the God that looks like Mars. The God of war. We, we have all these mythological gods. All these pagan deities. And I'm here to tell you something. That even in our beautiful Christianity, the image of God has been contaminated with pagan and Greek philosophical concepts of God. No wonder we're not representing God the way we should. No wonder we still are mad at ourselves, can't function in relationships, don't even love ourselves, can't love our neighbor, and God forbid we love a sinner that's broken and really needs love. Or that we can even see hope for the prostitute or the tax collector, see hope for the witch or the warlock. You know, if if we get the image of God right, everything else falls into line. And when we have a clear vision of who God is, a clear vision without all the filters, we put the right lenses on, Jesus, we see who he really is. You know, um, winter's coming. How many know it's here, right? Do you love it, though? I love the cold weather. It's beautiful. It's not so hot in here, you know. And actually, it's kind of warm right now, but it says it's like like 69 degrees, 68 degrees in here. So I, I was changing the filters in my home, our air filters. And, you know, listen, I'm not the best handyman. Don't hate me. Now you know how to pray for me because, like, I'll change light bulbs and stuff, but something might stay broken in our house for quite a while. You know, and for some reason, I, I'd rather just cook. And Like, honey, can you change that light bulb? I don't know what it is. I got an apron, and I love cooking. I love, I like making people happy with a meal in front of them. Mm, hallelujah. It's just who I am. But I do fix things from time to time. My wife, you know, she's like, would you fix it? No, she doesn't nag at me like that. <laughs> Actually, she doesn't at all. So I had to change the filters. My oldest son has asthma. And, uh, and, and man, I just waited far too long to change our air filters. So I get the, the chair ready and I'm, you know, taking the filters down. And there's, there is a thick like, I mean, that much, like maybe a half an inch, maybe I'm exaggerating, quarter of an inch thick, just dust all over the filter. You could probably peel it off like it was a dryer, you know, like the, the lint from a dryer. I could have just peeled it off. So it's just all these toxic allergens and dust and dust mites and microbes and bleh, the devil, and Satan himself. And so I put I put, uh, you know, my shirt above my nose. I should have had a mask. Chris has one of those masks. I should have got one of those masks from you. And, and so I'm changing this thing. And I'm like, man, this should have been done a long time ago. But it felt so good. We got the duster out. We dusted the thing off. We're vacuuming. Got new filters in my air conditioner intake. Hallelujah. But, you know, it's such a perfect picture of what we need to do with our toxic brew of God. We can't breathe right. We can't live right. We're constantly, you know, and how many know that it'll even mess up your air conditioner if you don't change those things out? Especially when you turn the heater on. So one of the reasons I had to change this, because when you turn the heater on, there's something about that warm air 
and the, and the dust, it's like, and everyone in the house is coughing the next day. So I had to get it done. So I'm just patting myself on the back. I'm a good dad and a good husband for changing the air filters. <laughs> Praise God. The Lord knows I do hardly anything else in that house. But you know, I'm, I'm reading these verses and I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about this, this contamination of how we see God and, and the Jesus that I knew 10 years ago, and, and of course, I still know the same Jesus. It's the same Jesus. But, but there's parts of that understanding of God I've had to let go of. Because I, we, as humans, we like to make God in our own image. We, we eventually, we always worship, uh, become what we worship. But, but a lot of times, we want a God who's mad at sinners. Or who, uh, we want a God that, that fits this profile. So we have, we've, in essence, it's like we've profiled this image of God. And we don't want anyone to mess with this image of God because it looks just like us. And then Jesus shows up and he's like, guys, no, he comes. This is what it says in John chapter 14. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. I'm going to tell you right now, if, if the church represented who the father is that we see in the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we would have far less atheists in the world. Matter of fact, I think one of the reasons there are so many people that are either agnostic or atheists is because the church has represented an archaic pagan deity and not the Father. Jesus says, Father, in Luke chapter 11, reveal who you are. Get rid of the contamination, the confusion. At that time, you have Pharisees that want the, you know, God's kingdom to come through the sword. You want, they want God's kingdom to come through the political powers. They want, and there's all these different views of who God is. And God is, as a matter of fact, if you read in, in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, he has anointed me to preach the gospel of the poor. He has uh, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim uh, to, uh, uh, freedom to all those that are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He leaves out the last part in Isaiah 61. He leaves the part, the day of the vengeance of our God. And they try to throw him off a cliff. You know why? Because they were messing with the idol image of God that the Pharisees carried. No wonder some people get so mad when you mess with their eschatology or some other doctrine. It's almost like we'd rather have a God that comes back as a, a lion that just, just licks everything up in his fire and his judgment. It's like we want this God because it suits us better. Come on. But Jesus changes all of that. And so as a Christian, as a Christ follower, we should be willing to let go of some of the images, or I should, let me just say it this way, the vain images, the vain imaginations that we've had of God so that we can learn of him and learn who God is because Jesus clearly represents who the Father is. I want, it, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2 real quick, and I'm going to close with this verse. And I wish I could preach this whole message, but I'm just going to finish up right now. Um, so in Colossians chapter two, I think you have that verse up there too, don't you? I want to read this to you. This is so powerful. Look at this. I'm going to read, uh, let me just read the, the few verses before this in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins 
and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them over over them by the cross. Now, I want to focus on this word because we're moving into the holiday season. And this is when we as people, as Christians, should be living out incarnational life. In other words, living out the Jesus life. If we are following him, then we should be loving like him. If we're following and we have a clear image of who he is, then we should be representing who he is and representing who he is, his heart, his heart of love to the world, especially around the holiday season. Now look what it says here. I love this, verse 16. The, uh, these are, verse 17, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. The shadow. Now what's he talking about? Paul's talking about the old covenant. Remember I said there are people, us, at times, we are new covenant believers. How many know we are in a new and better covenant sealed with the blood of Jesus? But sometimes we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need pertains to life and godliness. And we live in this new covenant realm where we know God is love, God is light. The t- only two axiomatic self-revealing statements in the New Testament, God is love, God is light. We have all this. We, we say that we know it, but we still live with an old covenant mindset. In essence, we're still living in the shadow instead of walking in the reality of who God is. A shadow is two-dimensional. A shadow is not vivid and colorful. A shadow does not accurately portray the reality of something. And so sometimes we will, we will present our image of God based upon a shadow, which doesn't really point to the real thing. We'll read a few verses in the Old Testament. And matter of fact, we'll read a couple good ones and a couple scary ones. We'll string them together. It's called Old MacDonald Theology. Here, verse, there, verse, everywhere, verse, verse. Because most Christians don't even know how to read the Bible. They don't even know how the Bible's put together. That's why I need to join STSL and learn church history. Come on, somebody. Most Christians, they just put, uh, that's how I do it. I just string verses together and here's my God. You can make the Bible say whatever you want to say. You can make the Bible stand up and walk around and do, you know, whatever you want it to do. Talk to you, make the Bible spirit-filled life. It speaks in tongues. You can make the Bible do whatever you want. String some verses together and the same thing with our image of God. We have, we have looked at the shadow. We've looked at the two-dimensional, uh, non-vivid, non-accurately portraying of, of who God is and we've worshipped the shadow. And we've presented the shadow. We've preached the shadow. We've evangelized with the shadow. God's ticked off at you, so repent of your sins. When Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is at hand, change the way you think. Reorient your life. Change what you think about God. What if the heartbeat of what repentance really is, is changing what we think about God? And not, of course, it's turned from sin because sin hurts us, right? It hurts us way more than it hurts God. God's not afraid, like, oh, you're sinning. How dare you? He's not surprised when you mess up. Like like it's not already in your heart. Come on. God knows every part of us. God's not afraid of sin. 
He's, he doesn't want it to hurt us. So, yes, repentance is turning away from things that hurt us. But what if reorienting our life and changing the way we think is more about changing what we see or have seen about God so that we can see who he really is, that he's a God of love and forgiveness and acceptance and mercy and a humble God that would join himself in our wicked humanity because he loves us and he became one of us. Come on, somebody. It's called the incarnation. What if that is the reality? but we're still worshiping the shadow I'm taking it home now I hope I'm doing all right Carla I'm trying man these people it's a tough crowd this morning pray for them sis pray for every one of these you're the only one in here probably that's enjoying this message I don't know is anyone else come on somebody we glorify the shadow we reverberate the shadow we talk about the shadow because we know the Bible we know the scripture we got to learn the Bible in a historical context. And it doesn't just mean learning verse by verse. It's all of the above. But there are people that learn verse by verse that still have a whacked image of God. It's not just learning verse by verse. It's learning of Christ. It's looking to Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, who is the exact image of God. Jesus, who reveals to us what God looks like. And it surpasses the shadow. It surpasses the old covenant. It surpasses the vain imaginations of archaic religion deities that we formed in our minds because we want a God that looks just like us. Then we can stay just the way we are instead of love the way God wants us to love see if I if I harbor unforgiveness in my heart I want a God who harbors and and will only forgive you if you do just the right things think about that for a minute we've made we have a formula it's like you got to pray this prayer you got to do this this and this and then you'll be forgiven how about you were forgiven 2,000 years ago and reconciled to God and you just have to receive it and you receive the cleansing. You, re- you think God chooses to forgive you when you pray some little prayer that the church has only been praying for the last 150 years? So for all the, you know, 1,800 years before that, I guess nobody got saved because nobody prayed the sinner's prayer. <laughs> think about it. There was no altar calls before 150 years ago. <gasps> so all those people in the 1,850 years before us were not really Christians? They never went to an altar call, never responded, had a sinner's prayer. Oh, my God. I mean, you think about it. It's like we've formulized everything, but it's just the shadow. We want a God who looks like us so that we don't have to change the parts of us that need to change, the parts of us that God is calling us higher. He's calling us to love greater. He's calling us to be forgiving people. He's calling us to be, let me say it, unoffendable. I'm going to go for three more minutes because I'm preaching now. He's calling us to look like Jesus. God the Father is calling us to look like his son. He's conforming us to the image of his son, not conforming us to a few scriptures that we like to tie together and an image of God that we worship, that we choose to worship. It's time the church lays down the idols and the vain imaginations, the deities of archaic religion. God is not Zeus with a lightning bolt. God is a man dying on a cross that says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. God died for you. God died for you. Well, no, Jesus died for you. Jesus is God. And that's the point of my message is that there is no God Hiding behind Jesus. Look at these two quotes. We're going to close. 
Check this out. The first one, Karl Barth. God's, God's essential identity as disclosed in Jesus Christ is the mysterious identity of the triune God. Jesus reveals Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Look at this next quote. This is so powerful. Thomas F. Torrance. It is only in and through Jesus Christ that man's eclipse of God can come to an end. And he can emerge again out of the darkness into the light. It's time the eclipse of who God is comes to an end, church. And we learn of him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. It's not the God that the, the Pharisees worship per se. They, they, you know, they, it, was, it was convoluted. It was confused with religion. Jesus came to reveal God perfectly. There's a progressive revelation in Scripture. And when we get to Jesus, the mountaintop, he reveals the glory of God's face. We behold the face of God in Jesus Christ. T.F. Torrance also said this, there's no God hiding behind Jesus. You know, if our image of the Father contradicts our image of Jesus, then our image of God is convoluted. So many people grow up, oh, Jesus, yeah, he's my friend, but the Father, you better watch out. He might pour his wrath on you. We have a great image of Jesus. Oh, man, he loves the broken, and he's the good shepherd, and he loves people, but the Father's up there kind of serious, right? And we sing, our God is an awesome God. He's got lightning bolts in his hands. That kind of reminds me of Zeus. Read the lyrics to that song later. But we love it. It's so anthony. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Because our God conquers everything. He conquers with love and humility. Not with power. But humility and servanthood. That's what Jesus clearly displays in the incarnation in his life. Our God is an awesome God. He rolled up his sleeves. You know, read the lyrics. It portrays more of an image like Zeus than an image that I see it in the life of Jesus. Oh man. I just messed with your your favorite song, Chris. I'm sorry. <laughs> Some of you guys love that song. He rolled up his sleeves and he ain't putting on a ritz. I don't even know the lyrics, man. I, doesn't it say something like lightning in his fists? Lightning in his, thunder in his footsteps, lightning in his fists? Hold on, just, can you just say law that for a minute? Everything I'm preaching to you this morning. Could it be that the God we thought we knew is a little different than the God we're learning of in Jesus? Could it be that maybe we're clinging to these vain imaginations. And Paul tells the church of Corinth, says, our weapons are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. The strongholds of our mind, casting every vain imagination down, taking every thought into the, taking thoughts captive that it would obey Jesus. The thoughts that contradict who God really is, let the lordship of Jesus just crush it. Oh, come on, man. Let's close. Carla, am I doing all right? Okay, should I close the service now? Let's close. All right, we're done. Would you do me a favor right where you are? Would you just stand up with me? And we're going to pray. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Father, reveal who you are. 
We have the house lights down. As soon as that keyboard hits, house lights down. As soon as that keyboard hits, house lights down. As soon as we pray. Lord, thank you for your presence right now. Thank you for what you've done already. Thank you for this beautiful time of worship with the saints. Thank you, God, that you're revealing who you are. Lord, you're revealing your heart, your nature to us. That your love and your grace is flowing from heaven. Thank you, God, that we can lay down the idols that we've made that don't look like you, the ones that we formed in our imagination because we want to hold on to things that really aren't who we really are deep down because we're children of God. That we're made to love, we're made to forgive, we're made to be humble, we're made to release the love of God, to represent, to represent who God really is. Jesus, you came and you changed it all. Lord, we don't want to worship the shadow. We don't want to exalt the shadow. We don't want to reverberate the shadow. We want to exalt, worship, and reverberate and represent the reality. The reality is Jesus. Jesus, you revealed to us what the Father looks like. And as we read scripture, as we, as we grow as Christians, as we love one another, as we live out life together, Lord, let it all point to Jesus so that we can truly represent who you really are, Papa. So we welcome you right now, and we thank you for what you're doing in, your heart, in our hearts. I pray right now, God, that every person that has struggled with these images of God that, that aren't really who you, you are, I pray they just crumble and fall right now. I want you to do me a favor and just say, Lord, I just give you these thoughts. I just give you these ideas that aren't you. I give the ideas that are not biblically pointing to Jesus the ones that aren't really pointing to who you are. I give you all these ideas. I lay them at the feet of Jesus. Crush them, Lord. Just just get rid of them. All the filters, all the contamination, we just change out those filters right now because we want to represent who you are in this holiday season. We want to love the broken. We want to, oh, Jesus, we want to be humble We want to love, we want to live out incarnational life, a life of servanthood, humility, and love. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Would you seal it with praise? Come on.